Hi folks, this is Bob Main. Welcome to another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is a practical, no tinfoil hat kind of a show. I don't get off into all those tinfoil hat theories and stuff like that. Um, we talk about on this show what is fact, and we do differentiate what is probably going to happen and what is possible, but maybe not quite so likely. Well, this interview, I got White Bear back on for another interview with me. Actually, there's this is a two-part interview, maybe even a three-part interview. Uh, White Bear is a primitive living skills instructor out in Montana. He's one of the best. He's got a great video uh, YouTube channel. Uh, he's got a great website. He teaches a lot of people on primitive living skills. He's one of the few primitive living skills instructors that actually makes this stuff practical and he puts it in terms that we can use in our everyday lives. And I think that's pretty cool. And we talked about disaster cleanup. Uh, first, he wanted to answer some questions about some people, uh, some questions from some people about some comments he made in a previous podcast about EMPs. So he spends some time talking about EMPs first, a little bit of time, and then he gets into his uh, disaster cleanup, disaster mitigation and disaster cleanup, which I think is really good. A couple of other subjects in there as well. Uh, White Bear's his real name. Uh, that's his Lakota name, and uh, it's a good interview. So... Uh, without wasting any more time, let's get right into it. All right, well, back on the show this week is White Bear from Montana. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be back. Well, my pleasure. We're going to, I want to tell everybody, this is going to be the first of a two-part series on disaster mitigation and disaster cleanup. Uh, looks like we have a couple of other topics to talk about before we get into that. And then we'll do part one this week and part two next week. How's that? Sounds good. Well, good. So, um, you'll, you, I'll go ahead and introduce you. And actually, I'll let you introduce yourself. There, there's some new listeners that might not have heard some of our prior podca- podcasts together. So, go ahead. Uh, well, I, I teach primitive living and wilderness survival skills, and uh, I am getting more into uh, like the modern primitive. Well, I have a series of videos called Modern Primitives, where I show people how to use uh, more modern gear, but on the primitive end of the spectrum. And uh, I, I'm a former paramedic and firefighter. I did spent 10 years doing that. And so I have a, a background in, in urban survival and disaster mitigation and cleanup, which is one of the topics we're going to talk about. And I've been doing this, I've been teaching for uh, going on uh, 35 years. Um, and I enjoy everything I do. And I, I live what I do and I do what I live. 35 years. Well, since you're a new guy, we'll just kind of take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, I, I think people should. <laughs> 35 years. Wow. Unbelievable. Congratulations. Um, and you know what? Maybe you've mentioned that you were a paramedic before, but I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I spent 10 years as a paramedic. Uh, where I lived was a small township, and they were looking for people. They needed people for the EMS program, which was fairly new back in those days, 1984. And uh, they offered free training to anybody that would sign up for two years. And uh, then I went from that. I went into firefighting and went into went through firefighting one, two, and three. Um, and I got into the, the EMT, and then I went into paramedic, and I was a paramedic with neonatal intensive care specialty, uh, which means I could take care of very small infant babies, um, which in that, that time we needed – uh, some care of because to get an infant from where they might be on the farthest outreaches of the township to the hospital could be anywhere from uh, 
25 to 40 minutes. Uh, so if you had a, a little infant in distress and they needed someone that had that training, so I, I went into that specialty. Excellent. Well, good. All right, so before we get into disaster cleanup and mitigation, you brought up uh, when we were offline that you wanted to talk a little bit more about EMPs, and then you, uh, you had another subject after that. But let, let's talk about uh, EMPs, because I had you on a couple months ago, and we were talking about it, and uh, somebody on the forum kind of, I think, thought that that might have been a little bit far out there. So why don't you address that? Well, yeah, I, I got inundated with emails from people um, that had listened to the podcast and, and got a link to my email and sent me an email saying, you know, uh, we didn't know you were tinfoil hat. We thought you were, you know, a primitive guy, minimalist. How do you know anything about EMPs? And, um, you know, I, I don't live with my head in the sand. I do keep abreast of what is happening in the world because even if you live a primitive, uh, you know, lifestyle with with minimal gear and, and minimal you know I, I don't have uh, electricity on the grid electricity I don't have on the grid water or anything like that um, I still need to know uh, what's going on in the world because it it does affect everybody no matter where you live and, and the only the only people that it doesn't affect are the ones that, that live like ostriches with their head in the sand of course <laughs> Excuse me and I mentioned when I mentioned about uh, you know someone setting off an EMP, I didn't do it from a tinfoil hat perspective or, or some wacko nut that doesn't know what he's talking about. There have been EMP tests that have been done, uh, not only by the United States, but by Russia. And, uh, you know, the effects of EMP have been known since it happened in 1962, but they did not know the, the major effects it would have. They, the, you know, the scientists that were monitoring this test had made some guesses, but they had no clue uh, what the effects, the actual effects were until after it happened. And many people probably don't know, but the, the, uh, the thermonuclear weapon that they launched into space was called Starfish Prime. And it knocked out, uh, some of the electrical and electronic components in Hawaii, particularly in Honolulu, which was 897 miles away from the nuclear explosion. Wow. And, and the damage was very limited compared to what it would be today because the electrical and electronic components of 1962 were much more resistant to the effects of EMP than the sensitive micro and nano technology of today. Um, and, and the magnitude of, an, of the effect of an EMP on the United States it w is, you know, or any similar country, it, it does not have any uh, data or statistics because it's unknown until one actually happens. And unless the device is very small or detonated in an insufficiently high altitude, it is likely that it would, you know, not knock out that much, but it could knock out the entire electrical power grid of the United States if someone knew how to detonate it properly. And it would destroy many electro electrical and especially electronic devices that we have today because of the large microelectronic micro electronic and nanotechnology-based equipment that we have. And anything that's connected to antennas or the power grid um, would especially be vulnerable. And deliberate regional tracks using lower-altitude nuclear detonations are also possible. And uh, the Starfish Prime was part of Operation Fishbowl, and it was detonated at 59 minutes and 51 seconds before midnight Honolulu time on July 8th of 1962. But the official documents give it as July 9th because that was the date of uh, the Greenwich Meridian, known as the Coordinated Universal Time, which is way on the East Coast. And uh, it was considered an important scientific event and was monitored by hundreds of scientific instruments across the Pacific and in space. Um, and what they expected was, was they far underestimated the actual and accurate measurement of the size of the pulse. 
um, that happened. Well, it doesn't surprise me. But now I've always long held that there are two things, and in, in one of them is possibility, and the other is probability. So even though that's possible, give us your opinion. What is what's the probability of that? I, I you know I, I can't say what the probability is. I, I don't. I'm not in the realm of, of thermonuclear technology and weapons, but the tests have been done. There are countries that have the capability of doing it. So if they're capable of doing it and if they get ticked off enough at us, who's to say they won't? We right. don't know. But but my my point with the whole reference of it last time was the fact that it it's out there. It has happened. There have actually been tests, like the Soviets did, uh, the uh, test 184 that the Soviets did, and they referred to it as K3, and it knocked out a major 1,000-kilometer underground power line running from Astana, then called Akmola, to the, uh, the capital of Kazakhstan, to the city of Almaty. And fires were reported, and there was just all kinds of chaos that happened, electrical power plant that blew up, and power lines you know, on fire. So, you know, there's two tests that have been documented that are factual that have happened is it could north korea do it absolutely could the middle east do it absolutely they both have the techno the nuclear technology to do it so probably the probability i have no clue but the possibility it's always there it's an imminent threat that we always have to be aware of and i think anybody that thinks that emps don't exist are living with their head in the sand. I agree with you. And, you know, I've never said that they don't exist on this show. Um, I just don't dwell on them because I think in terms of practicality or probability, it's probably one of the lower percentage disasters that's going to happen to the uh, to the average person that's listening to the show. Now, it is something that could happen, absolutely. And, White Bear, I'm very glad that you put those facts in there because it's important for listeners to know that, on my show, whenever I have a guest or whenever I say something, I do the best I can to make sure that it's based on fact. And if somebody calls me out on it and says, hey, Bob, this is just simply not true, I will correct myself. But you're actually you're basing it on actual fact. Yes. I mean, whatever I put out there, I put out based on fact. I don't just go on theoretical knowledge. I go on anecdotal knowledge, things that I have personally done or that I have facts to back up with. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for clarifying that. Hopefully for the for the listeners who were wondering about that, hopefully that clears it up a bit. Well, I hope so because I you know, I'm not a tinfoil hatter. I'm not one of these that has to walk around with, you know, my walls lined with foil and and everything else because I'm, you know, worried about them listening to me or whatnot. But, you know, things that I know that are actually out there that I've seen that I've I've researched and and, you know, found out about, yeah, I I go based on facts. Good. Good. Thanks for sharing that. Now, um, I'm drawing a quick blank. There was another subject you wanted to get into before we got into disaster cleanup. Yeah, I, I, I've been doing quite a few seminars the last few months uh, about the main topic we're going to talk about, but I also have had people that have asked me that are getting, that some are advanced preppers, some are getting into prepping or living self-reliant, and they've been asking me about the, you know, the immediate exposure um, that's been going on with with all these prepping shows and whatnot, and they're they're asking, does it really help or hurt preppers? Oh yeah, that's right, media exposure. Yes, okay, and, yeah, and listen listen to what White Bear's about to say right now, folks. Listen carefully because he gave me a preview of this offline. I think it's going to shock you. Um, the, the latest event happened in Cape Coral, Florida. Uh, an elderly woman who's a widow uh, went on the local news channel and did a report about living off the grid. 
no no electricity you know no uh, no water from the, the grid she's self-sustainable and the next day after the newscast went out uh, the code enforcement went to her house and put papers on her door demanding that she vacate immediately because they don't allow people to live off the grid in Cape Coral, Florida. Now, I don't know when it became illegal or uh, against the law in any way to live off the grid and live self-sustainably. And I've been hearing more and more of people that are appearing on, on these prepper shows that they've been harassed by government officials, that they've had their lives turned upside down, they've had weapons confiscated, they've had their prepping stashes confiscated. And I've talked to a few of these people because I wanted to find out firsthand, and they, they have acknowledged that this is going on. They're, they're being watched. Uh, you know, the people in their neighborhood are now very leery of what they're doing, which I talked about this before. I think anybody that goes on any kind of media venue, whether it's YouTube or, or a cable or network television show or news channel or anything, and tells all their preps is asking for trouble because if people in your area didn't know you were a prepper and they're of the mindset that if, if the stink hits the fan, they're going to come take your supplies, well, now you've just increased your, your risk a hundredfold because you don't know how many people in your neighborhood might have that train of thought that, Oh, I'm not a prepper. I don't need to because my, you know, Joe down the street's got everything I need, and I'll just go down and take what I need from him. And it, you know, I, I really think that people that are into self-reliance and prepping and living off grid need to think about what they're doing instead of being out there and promoting what you're doing. I think you need to do it and keep it to yourself or to your prepping group, and not be so, you know, gregarious about letting everybody know what you have and what you're doing. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I just found the article, uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. You kind of scaring me a little bit because, you know, I, I do this public podcast almost once a week. But then again, I don't get real detailed about my preps. Uh, anybody who listens to this show knows that I'm a prepper. And uh, I don't know, you know, I haven't talked to too many of my neighbors since I got to this new neighborhood. But I am I am planning on talking to them. But a lot of them don't know that I do a podcast on it either. But that that's interesting because... Um, I have I've actually had the conversation with with four of my neighbors. I have had the conversation, and I do somewhat worry. Although I tell you what, if somebody wants to come over here and try to take my stuff, I wish them luck. Well, you know, I, and I understand that point of view, and there's a lot of people have that point of view. But let's look at it this at this way too. You travel a lot for business. Uh, now, let's say you're out on a business trip and something happens, and you're not able to get home. You know, your wife and your son could be left there to defend themselves. Then what? Yeah, that's not a good scenario. That's okay, not so, a good scenario. Right. So, you know, people and, and, and I, I applaud people that have the attitude of if you come and try to take what's mine, that, you know, it, good luck. And and that's the case. But if if it's just you defending your homestead and you have, you know, 15 or 20 people rushing you, you can't take them all out. That's true. That's true. And I, no. I, when I when I say good luck, I'm talking about if it's one or two. But you're right. If I'm overpowered and severely outnumbered, I'm going to kind of be in in trouble. And you know, like I've always said, I do this show because I feel like I want to wake people up. I want to smack people up along the side of the head and make them realize what's going on. But there's a risk I'm taking. There's a there's a price to be paid for what I'm doing. Right. You know. Yeah. And and I I know 
from listening to you that you're very sensible about what you do, and that's one of the reasons I like doing your podcast because there are some guys out there that I don't th- think th- that are doing podcasts. There, I don't think they're doing it for the sensible information they're putting out. I think they're doing it for the grandiose factor of they can say, "Oh, look at me! I'm a prepper, and I, you know, I have a podcast, and I have this, and I have that." And uh, you know, I, I like the fact that you're not commercially supported. You know, you, you, you find ways to make your own support system. You're not, you know, you don't have a bunch of sponsors and things like that. And that's one of the reasons I will only do your podcast is because of your attitude towards how you do it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I welcome that compliment. Thank you, White Bear. Um, and kind of shifting gears a bit, uh, the woman you're talking about is Robin Speronis. I found the article while you were talking, uh, an article published in December and, uh, Says the day after her story aired, where uh, where they talked about her off grid lifestyle, the city of Cape Coral sent a code enforcement officer to give her a notice to vacate. Yes, and there's a YouTube video about it too. I'm going to post a a link. People can watch the YouTube two minute and forty second YouTube video about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think this needs to be out there. I think you know, I know, I know, probably with this podcast. A lot of the people we're, we're talking to is like preaching to the choir. But I think people need to get on board with the fact that we need to start spreading this, this, you know, word of we need to keep this, what we're doing to ourselves. We don't need to be out there and telling everybody, whoa, look at me. I'm, you know, I'm King Kong and I have all this stuff and I'm, you know, ready to take on the world. You know, who needs to know that other than your family and the people that you trust to be within your group of of survivors and preppers and self-reliant? I somewhat agree with that. And there's also something deeper here that I think we need to talk about. I think the deeper lesson here is that there are high-level people in the media and in the government that don't want us to be preppers. No, they absolutely don't. And we are a threat to them, technically. We're a threat to them if we're preppers. I mean, let's face it. Um, most preppers, most preppers own weapons, own a lot of them. Most preppers don't typically care too much for the tyranny that our government is living upon us. And, and this example here of this woman being asked to leave her property because she's going off grid, that's tyranny, plain and simple. Oh, it's, it's very much a tyrannical, you know, point of view. I mean, very much so. I mean, you know, who, who is anybody to tell another person, you can't live this way? Look, if you, if you want to pay for my house, if you want to pay for my property taxes, if you want to pay for everything that I consume and I do, I'll do what you say. But if I'm paying for it, stay out of my life. It's yeah, exactly. And I have a message to all the people at the NSA who have downloaded this podcast and are listening to it right now. You know, I want to tell you folks that I'm not anti-government and I don't promote anti-government, but many of us in the prepper community don't want to be bothered by the government. We don't want to be, um, well, how do I put this? We don't want you in our lives so much. And we have a right in the United States of America to live that way. And I think when you, when you bother like, bother women like this lady in Cape Coral, Florida, I think what you're doing is, you're, it's an act of tyranny. And so uh, my message to all the preppers out there, it, it, that is, you got, you're gonna have to understand that if you're gonna take on this lifestyle, you're gonna be looked upon, and I've talked about this many times, you're gonna be looked upon as weirdos, you're gonna be looked upon as fringe dwellers, even if you just want to store food and water in your house, they're going to think you're weird. 
Well, you know, I, I mean, that's one of the things that, that I've found, uh, especially recently, with the word prepper, whether it's a person who stores food or guns and ammo or items for trade like tobacco, fuel, alcohol, or maybe all the above. You know, the very idea that someone uh, does this makes many who don't do these things think that the person is a conspiracy nut or an anti-government zealot or someone who plays soldier in a militia group. And a lot of these types of thoughts are driven by the media. You know, and the media is not friendly to those that have views or opinions. Not no. the same as theirs. No, they're not. No. You know, the, the media takes a story, be it oral, written, or visual, and they twist it and edit it to make it as profitable as possible because their main priority is making money. You know, next they take the characters in the story, either heroes or villains, again, first and foremost, to make as much profit as they can. And secondly, to make a person, the person in the story, a villain or a good Samaritan, although usually the good Samaritan is portrayed at, at uh, the expense of another person's credibility, and not simply because they were doing a good deed. You know, then there are those that attempt to expose the corruption and lies of the media, but they are deemed to be crackpots during these exposés, attempting, then they're tempted to be discredited by the very people who spin their tails for their profitable gain, you know, so. Yeah, and you know, I think another reason why the media and the government, they don't like preppers because they can't control us. Well, exactly, you know, and, and the internet has become just as twisted and corrupt as both network and cable, t you know, TV. That's true. Uh, you know, and I mean, the, the you know, you get these executives that sit behind their corporate walls that have been bought and paid for by the viewers of these types of shows, and you know, they they just want to, they just you know, they want to put out as much uh, propaganda that will make people watch. They don't care if it's you know good, bad, or indifferent. They're just looking at uh, at making money, you know. And the second one that really irks me the most are the people within our own ranks, the people who live self-reliant or preppers, and they go out and they sit behind their keyboards and cast aspersions on those that take their own time, like you and many YouTubers, and energy and talent to put out content, which a lot of it is good quality, sound advice. But there's always the naysayers that think that they're better and no more than those that have actually demonstrated their skills, be it on a podcast or video. And some of these commentators may know more than the person putting out the podcast or video, but that does not give another person the right to try to demean the content of what another has done. And I think that we are our own worst enemy because what we're doing is, is that when we put out, you know, these negative re remarks and comments, that we're just, you know, fueling the fire of the anti-self-reliant prepping people out there. Well, I agree with you. And when you when you made the comment earlier about the media not particularly liking us too much, I got to say part of that is our fault because a lot of preppers have done things to kind of rub people the wrong way. Oh yeah, they you know absolutely. I've I've been approached by many uh, production houses wanting to you know do shows on me and whatnot. And one of the things that they want to do is they want to see how I live, and I, I tell them I will absolutely not show on on television or any video where I live and how I live. It's nobody's business what I have or how I do it but mine. And I am not going to put myself out there for, you know, for, for people to see what I'm doing because, you know, if, if people can't get the gist of what I'm doing through what I put out on my videos and put out like on these podcasts or radio interviews that I do, then I guess, you know, they'll have to find someone else that will because I'm not willing to put myself that far out on the limb. Me either. I'm not willing to put myself out there. I mean, just enough, but I'm not going to be, um, you know, I'm not going to be inviting people into my home and letting them take videos and say, oh, check all this out. Look what I'm doing. I'm, you know, there's a big danger in that. Yes, there, there is a very big danger, especially 
with the way things are. I mean, it, it's a very tedious uh, time you know we're in right now. I mean, we're we're almost at the precipice of it could go either way, and I don't think it's going to go the way that I hope it would. I think it's going to go the other way, and I think a lot of people are going to find themselves in the hurt locker when the stink hits the fan. I agree. I'll even say this. Most people know I'm pretty security-minded because I was in that business for many, many years. Even if you're not a prepper and you happen to be listening to this show, maybe because somebody told you or maybe you're thinking about getting into it, but even people who aren't preppers, you know, don't be making a lot of what you do public. You know, criminals watch TV, too. Yes. And, you know, and they get on the Internet and they start looking for information and people that they can make victims. Well, you know, that's that's one thing is I hear people all the time that um, they, they, they go and they, they train with firearms or, or hand-to-hand combatives or you know, other kinds of weapons. And they, they, they do it as closely to a real scenario as they can with, you know, I, I know you, you teach, you know, handgun, uh, courses through Suarez International and whatnot. And I know that, you know, places like that get as close as they can to the real thing, but it's still not the same because in the back of your mind, you know it's not real. Right. It's, there's always that little thing that's telling you this is just you know, a pretend scenario. This is just, you know, a practice. You're right. You cannot ever get into that actual, oh, it's really happening right now until it actually happens. You know, and and I I use this analogy all the time. I look at the people of uh, Fukushima, and they, in Japan, they have training drills for tsunamis and all kinds of things all the time. But guess what? Those training drills did not prepare them for what actually happened. Right. Because you can't understand it until you've got that huge wall of water coming at you, the mindset difference than when you're just pretending it's happening. And that's what it really is. You're pretending it's happening until it actually does. Well, it's the same with prepping. You know, you're pretending a disaster is going to happen, and you really don't know how well your preps are going to work until the disaster actually happens. Exactly. Exactly. You 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 can't know. I mean, because it, it's it it has you have not been put in that state of mind or that that frame of content to know until it actually absolutely affects you. And and Katrina is a perfect example of that. And I bet you'll agree with this statement: nothing, absolutely nothing, ever goes exactly as planned. No. No. Absolutely not. I mean, we had trainings when I was at the fire department. When I was a paramedic, you know, and, and I have friends that are still in, the, in EMS and firefighting and whatnot, and they go through all the trainings. And I also did search and rescue uh, uh, when I lived in Wyoming, and we went through trainings. I went through Avalanche 1, 2, and 3, you know, learning all about that. Every single rescue, fire, accident is different. You can never, I mean, it is, I, I probably went to, in my 10 years, well over 10,000 auto accidents. And wow. none of them were ever the same as the one before. You mean in your time as a paramedic you're talking about? Yes. Yeah, yeah everyone was different. Yeah, every, every, absolutely. I mean, every because every person is different, every injury is different, every crash is different. I mean, I don't care if you have a vehicle that gets T-boned right in the, in the middle you know, of the driver's or passenger side, the impact, depending on the size of the vehicle, the speed, every, you know, everything plays into factor 
the differences in that accident. Everything, you know, so so you, you think that, oh, someone got T-bones, so these, this should be how they're injured. And it can be completely different than what you expect when you get there. Yeah. And, and that generally, that's what happened. I mean, not no two accidents were exactly alike. Yep. And no two, uh, no two uh, disasters are going to be exactly alike. No, no. You know, I mean, people have tried to learn from Katrina, but... You know, a hurricane or a tornado or a tsunami or, you know, whatever happens, just because it happened one way one time, it's, you know, Mother Nature is very unpredictable. It's not going to happen the same way a second time. Speaking of Mother Nature, before we get into the main topic, um, at the time that we're recording this podcast, uh, earthquakes have hit Oklahoma, and they're not major earthquakes, but they're still earthquakes, and it's just, you know... When stuff like that gets close to home, it just uh, I start it wakes me up even more. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because you're you know you're a lot closer than I am, you know. But uh, it, it put you know it really it really gives you the thought of you know what if it happened here, you know? Yeah. A four point two earthquake recently hit uh, Oklahoma. I think that was yesterday up in uh, up in the middle of the state. So I got some friends that live up there too. Uh, one of them is doing some pretty good prepping up there. Oh yeah, it, you know it, it. It's happening all around the country. You know the weather is changing. The, the the natural disasters that are occurring are changing. The places that they're happening, people are like, well, that's not supposed to happen here. It, it's it's Mother Nature. You can't you know us as as humans to think that we can predict what Mother Nature is going to do, I think, is is pretty darn arrogant and egotistical. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's talk about disaster cleanup and mitigation. Yeah, this is a big topic. Um, and I saw one of the members on the forum, I don't recall his name, who was asking uh, about doing a podcast. And, and I've been doing quite a few seminars on this very topic. So um, I have some things that we can go through as far as tools and cleanup supplies and things you have for your family and uh, there's a whole list of things that uh, I use in my seminars that we can talk about. Sure. Well, take it away. Well, to begin with, you know, with preparing for a, a natural disaster, I mean, a man-made disaster, I don't know if you can really prepare for because uh, there generally is no prior advanced uh, warning for a, a man-made disaster. You could have a, a train derailment and it, it dumps thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals or uh, a semi that is in an accident and does the same thing or, uh, you know, like the oil spill down on the Gulf Coast. I mean, I don't think those are things that you can really uh, plan for, but there are some, you know, there are some things you can do to be prepared in case it does happen. And, um, you know, there's some basic tools and cleanup supplies that you really uh, should keep on hand. Um, the first thing is, uh, like, uh, hammers, a framing-type hammer, a three-pound mm -hmm. hammer, and a 20-pound sledge. And um, people are going to say, well, why, why do you need three hammers? Well, a framing hammer is if you need to uh, nail anything together. Uh, a three-pound hammer is if you need to break any small stuff up. And a 20-pound sledge is if you need to break any large stuff up. Uh, an axe with a five-pound uh, single-bit head, a pry or wrecking bar, uh, a two-, three-, and five-gallon bucket, um, bleach. You should have a minimum of ten gallons of bleach. Uh, white vinegar, minimum of ten gallons of white vinegar. Contractor-grade trash bags, mm -hmm. and the three-foot the three by four-foot <coughs> mm -hmm. size, a minimum four-mil thickness, uh, minimum one case of the blue shop towels. 
Yep. Uh, quart and gallon size Ziploc freezer bags. Heavy duty 12 inch zip ties, minimum of 100. Uh, I recommend the Gorilla brand duct tape, minimum of five rolls. Um, heavy duty poly tarps, uh, should have two 8x10s and two 20x40s. Uh, one 20 foot by 100 foot roll of 6 mil Visqueen. Mm. Industrial size dish detergent. I recommend Dawn because it's, uh, it, it's good for the environment and you can use it to wash up pets and other things. So, uh, Dawn is very good and you should have a case of that. You can get that at places like Costco, you know, the big, the big, uh, uh, what do you call them? Industrial size shopping stores. Yep. Uh, baby wipes, disinfecting wipes. And uh, one case of alcohol. Baby wipes and disinfecting wipes, uh, those are so useful. People overlook those a lot. Yeah, baby wipes, you know, come in very handy. If you don't have any water and you need to clean up, I mean, it may not be the the greatest way to wash up, but, hey, it's a way to clean up and keep, you know, you have to keep your hygiene up because if you get, uh, you know, if you let yourself uh fall in that category you can become ill and get infections easier and whatnot so baby wipes are very useful you can use them uh if you don't have any toilet paper they can be i mean you can use a baby wipe and and wipe four times with that one baby wipe um before you have to throw it away so that's you know that saves you a lot on having to carry toilet paper which if it gets wet falls apart and is, is useless exactly uh good didn't even think about that explain again why three hammers well, uh, if if you are in a, a natural disaster and let's say your your house gets wrecked, um, you might have to construct some type of temp- some type of temporary shelter. So you could you know take some two by fours and and uh, nails and you could use your framing hammer to construct a little mini shelter that you could cover with the tarps that I talked about. So you have some place to be out of the weather, out of the out of the sun or out of the rain or whatever the case might be. Um, so a framing hammer is good for that reason. A three pound hammer if you had some, uh, let's say, uh, uh, you had to chip your way out of, you got stuck in the basement, you had to you had chip your way out. You could take that three-pound hammer and, and maybe break out uh, cinder blocks or brick with that. Or if, if it was worse, you could take your 20-pound sledge and do that, so maybe you could get out. Um, you know, so you, uh, those three hammers are, are key uh, tools that you should have in your uh, preparations. Good, good. You just, I've been writing some stuff down here. You gave me some ideas. What, what else you, uh, what, what other kind of supplies should people have? Well, for each, each one of your family members, um, now a lot of people might think that this is a little over the top, but, uh, if there was some kind of toxic chemical spill, uh, that you needed to be protected from, and maybe you couldn't evacuate, um, they have these, the Kapler puts out these Zytron 300 disposable chemical protection coveralls. And they have a respirator hood and they have a, a double attached gloves and sock boots. You could put those on so that you don't uh, get any of the chemicals on you because someone might have uh, allergies to them or they could be harmful as far as uh, burning your skin uh, through the vapor in the air or if you were close enough to have direct contact. Um, rubber chemical resistant gloves, the elbow length ones. Uh, an N95 level particulate respirator mask, which they, they look like little dust masks, but they're uh, effective yep. against uh, sodium chloride, um, and they're used for solid and non-oil-based particulates. Um, applications include grinding, sanding, bagging, you know, general processing, uh, you know, dust in the air. Like if you were having to clean up around your house, you might not need a full toxic respirator, but you know that mask will keep your your lungs from getting. Uh, 
uh, full of stuff you don't want in them. Um, there's a company called MSA that puts out the Safety Works Toxic Dust Respirator, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a number 817664. Those are deemed to be the best, and I, I have one for myself and one for my wife. Uh, chemical-resistant knee boots, the high rubber type, uh, and, and p- better yet would be rubber chest waders or preferably hip waders. And I, I would recommend the neoprene. I'd re- recommend the rubber because they're more uh, impermeable to things than, uh, than the um, neoprene. Okay. Um, and another good thing, if there was some kind of a natural disaster which could cause maybe some radiation to be in the air, is a personal dosimeter badge, which are the radiation badges. Mm-hmm. And they monitor the radiation levels. You can clip them on and you can see um, you know, how much radiation is in the air. Uh, you know, these are things that people might be like, oh, that's way over the top. But they're small little things you can keep in a little pack that you could pull out and put on because, you know, who knows what might happen. Um, full coverage eye goggles and a hard hat for each person because you might have falling debris from an earthquake or tornado or whatever, and you want to protect your head. Good stuff. And a lot of what you're talking about is not very expensive. No, it's not. I mean... Um, you know, like the, the chemical suits are $100 each. Now, uh, a lot of people might go, well, that's really expensive. Well, how much is you, you and your family's worth, life's worth, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, those, those respirators are about 25 to 35 bucks. You know, the, the mask you can get in packs of, uh, two or three and they're about $8. You know, gloves, chemical resistant gloves, five or, five to eight dollars a pair. You know? Uh, so, I mean, this, it's not, it, it's stuff that you, it will pay for itself over the long run. You may not need it right now, but you may need it down the road. And you know, what you're, when I listen to you talk about this stuff, White Bear, this is why I encourage people on this show, every, every week I do this show, this is why I encourage people to make a budget, live within a budget, sp- uh, spend less than what you bring in so you can start to divert some of your extra cash over into preps. You know, if you can't afford the $100 chemical suit right now, just set a budget, put a little bit aside each. You know, that might not be the very first thing you run out and get. Make sure you get your food, your water, and your basic supplies and first aid kits and everything taken care of in your emergency fund. Do all that first. But once you get past that, I call that, you know, plateau number one. You know, you got to be, you got to have a little bit of money to get to, you know, to be in plateau two or three. Exactly. You know, and, and people, you know, people really kind of kill me with this because I, some of the seminars I've had people after that come up and ask me questions are like, well, you know, you're talking a lot of money. That's expensive. And, and the first thing I ask him is, do you go out to dinner? Yeah. How many times a week? Uh, most people answer between three and five times a week. No kidding? How mu- Yes, honestly. How much do you spend on dinner? Oh, anywhere from 20 to $60. Okay, instead of going out to dinner... Why don't you buy some food that you can that that sixty dollars could buy you enough food for three or four days, and and put more of that money that you're spending going out three or four times a week, and put that towards your preps. You really get people. You really get people telling you that they're going out to dinner three to five times a week. Yeah, honestly, I guess I do. We don't go out to dinner even three times in a month. Yeah, uh, that, but that's you know that's it's because it's become so easy instead of. You know, mom and dad work, and when, you know, the kids have soccer or basketball or whatever sports they're doing or after school activities, so by the time, you know, they're done with their day, no one wants to cook. 
And, you know, they think it's better to go out and eat than it is to buy a frozen whatever and throw it in the microwave. So they spend, you know, 20 to $60 going out to eat with the family instead of buying food. You know, and, and my, my mom, I was, I was raised by a single parent mom. And what she would do on Sundays is she would make food for the entire week. Mm-hmm. Because, because she worked all week. So Saturday and Sunday, Saturdays we'd go out and do something fun. And on Sundays we would, you know, I'd help her clean the house. And she would make food for the week. And so we, we had, you know, spaghetti and we had macaroni and cheese and we had all this stuff that was home cooked and it was all prepared and all you had to do was pull it out, heat it up and you had your meal. Exactly. It, it's not that hard. I mean, take one day out of the week, make food for your family that's good and healthy, have your meals planned for the week and that's going to save you a lot of money that you can use for other things that you need to be using it for. We carry a lot of food with us as well. You know. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, why not? When we go out to do stuff, in other words, when we're out, you know, and we're running a busy schedule, it's not that hard to carry food. So then that way you don't have to, you know, buy uh, some junky fast food or you don't have to spend a whole fortune going uh, to, you know, get your food to uh, fancy dinner. Yeah. You, you On Sunday, you, you roast a turkey or you roast a chicken. Um, once it's once it's cooked, you slice it up for lunch meat. You put it in the fridge. How long does it take to take two pieces of bread, some mayo, mustard, lettuce, cheese, and 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 turkey or chicken, and put it on, on two pieces of bread? Not very long. Five minutes, maybe. Yeah. You've got a sandwich. If you have, if you get your kids involved and you have them start making their own sandwiches, and you know everyone makes their own sandwich, you got five minutes amongst four or five people, and you know you buy a bag of uh, chips and. And you know some some water or some kind of drink, and you know you head out the door and you, you have your lunch with you. Exactly. No, is it? No, it's not. Not very difficult. You know, it's just making a it's a making a commitment just to alter your lifestyle just a little bit. Well, you know, it that kind of references. You know, I, I listened to your podcast, the Wussification of America, and you know, one of the things that I found through through doing my my seminars that I've been doing is you know. I've lived all around this country. I've lived in 40 out of the 50 states. But the one and only state that I've never resided in, nor will I ever live in, partly because it's extremely overpopulated, is the state of denial. (laughs) Which which I personally believe is bigger than the state of Texas. Yeah, it's the 51st state, the state of denial. Yes, and, and it is so true because I cannot tell you, I mean, I do, the seminars I do are anywhere from 125 to 200 people rooms. And I'm going to say 80%, maybe maybe a little higher, but at minimum, I'll, I'll give them more credit than I should. 80% of them live in a state of denial. Uh-huh, Exactly. And, yep. and the things that I tell them and, and the, the, you know, the, the things that I have portrayed from what I've seen through, you know, my years of, of doing this and, and my paramedic and fire, people are just aghast at the things that I tell them. And they just, I, I never knew. I had no idea. How can you not? I mean, in today's world of, of hypermedia all over the place, it's on your phone. It's on your computer. It's you know. It's now even on people's watches that have the watch phones. How can you not know? Well, they don't care. I, yeah, is it that they don't care, or is it really that they are that much in denial? I, I don't know which it is. For Probably them. a little bit of both. It's denial. It's denial. Well, I mean, look, it's denial and the fact that they don't care. 
it has to be denial because all you have to do is look at our political climate. Uh, and I don't want this show to get political, but let's, and, and I'm not blaming one party or another. But all you gotta do is look at the people that the average American continues to vote for. And that'll tell you right there that they're in denial that there's anything going on. They, exactly. they, they just don't want to admit that there's something that's just not right about our society. And they keep voting in the same knuckleheads over and over. All you gotta do is look at the kids in our schools. You know, and, and look at the material that they're being taught and you can tell it's the state of denial. That's exactly. the biggest. Um, I think they would care if they knew more about what was going on. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm not a political, I'm not affiliated to either political party and any, you know, not any one of them. But, you know, I will say that if, if the person who is in charge now was of the other political party, the other major party, they would have they would have screamed so loud for his impeachment that he would be out of office. But people have been talking about there should be impeachment for for this person in charge. Now it's not happening. Nothing's happening. So yeah, I, you know I I don't get it. You know it's, it's denial. It really is denial. Well, it's not just the president. I mean, you look at if you look at the people that that make the decisions in this country, even the even some of the local politicians. And I, I've said this before. Again, uh, this is not a political show because I, 99% of the time I'm not talking about politics. But let's face it, folks. The people you put in power to make decisions, they have an effect on you. Whether it's direct or indirect, they have an effect on you. So the old saying, elections matter, it's, it's very true. And all you have to do to assess the makeup of a population in the United States, all you have to do to assess the makeup is take a look at who their representatives are. Yeah, exactly, and and there are uh, you know there are a lot of local politicians who are driven by what happens at the federal level because uh, you know if they don't follow the tide, they basically can be taken out of office. Right now, I also you know? think that I also think that part of the problem is people don't care. Um, they don't. So many people have this. Well, long, they, here's their attitude. Well, as long as it doesn't happen to me, screw everybody else. <laughs> and, and that's what, you know, that's what, well, I go back to the fact that people asking me, well, you live off grid and, you know, you don't have TV and cable and all that, so why does it matter to you? Because it, it, it's, you know, the waterfall effect, it all runs downhill, and if eventually it's going to affect me whether I live in, you know, uh, the, the urban city, suburbs, you know, rural area, farm, or, or how I live. It doesn't matter. At some point, it's going to affect all of us. So we need to pull our heads out of the sand, and we need to start paying attention. Absolutely very well said. I think this is a good stopping point for part one. Uh, this is a two-part series, so White Bear and I are going to do this again next week. We're going to talk about part two, about disaster mitigation, cleanup, supplies, and things like that. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Go ahead and give people... The uh, websites and YouTube channels and things where they can find you and learn more about what you do and the school you put on. The uh, the website is plsslivingwild.com. And my, I, I have two YouTube channels. The first one is youtube.com slash primitive living and youtube.com slash barefoot bushrat. Yeah, and PLSS stands for Primitive Living Skills School. Yes. PLSS 
livingwild.com. Yes, and, and I get asked all the time, why do you say living wild? Well, I, I, I'm living wild because I'm living as I feel I should be living. It doesn't mean I'm out having wild parties and keggers and all that stuff. I don't do any of that. Um, I, I've actually had people that think that. I'm Living wild means I live in Mother Nature, I live with Mother Nature, and I use her resources to live my life the way I choose to live. If any of those people thought that living wild meant you were out having wild parties, they're probably the ones that are in denial we were just talking about. Oh yeah, they, they, you know, they're like, oh dude, do you know, do you have like a, a grow stash? No, I don't do any of that stuff. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. None of that stuff. It's not, <laughs> not some place for you to come and party and hang out. You know, it's all that stuff. It's, it means that I'm using the wild resources to, around me to live the way I choose to live. You gave me a good little laugh there. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, White Bear. We'll talk again next week. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you, White Bear. That's an informative interview. What did you think? You know, send some comments over either by email. You can email me, Bob, at todayssurvival.com. Uh, you can go over to www.todayssurvival.com, and you can comment directly under each podcast episode posting. Also, yeah, if you join the forum, by the way, click the forum button over at the website. If you join the forum, send me an email and tell me what your username is. I'm sorry it's been taking me a long time lately to get people approved. Just been real busy, and uh, I'll, I'll explain to you in a, little, in a little while here why I've been so busy. But I will get you approved, and I'll send you a confirmation email saying, Welcome to the forum, and your account is approved. That's the best way I can keep spammers out. But White Bear and I are going to do a part two of this interview. That's going to come out next week. So part two. He's also producing a really cool video for the Survival Champions Club. Now, most of you know, and if you've been listening to me long enough, I do not run commercials on this show. I keep it sponsor free. I want to keep it as full of good information as I can and not waste a bunch of your time listening to commercials. A lot of podcasts out there do that. I don't believe that too much. I don't believe in that. This is not a full-time job for me. However, there are bills to pay, and I do like to get compensated just a little bit for the time that I put into it. So if you like what you hear, and if you think I do a pretty good job, you want to support the show, you can purchase special podcasts for $25 each. These are called the Survival Champions Club Podcast. If you want to be a champion at this, digging deeper into your learning ability is the best way to do it. So if you go over to todayssurvival.com, in the right-hand margin, you'll see the, today, the Today's Survival Champions Club. And if you click on that and just hit the drop-down box, you'll see a list of all of the different podcasts, and you'll also see the page on my site that explains what all of them do. This one's going to be a video. White Bear's going to do a video. And that video I'm going to make available to everybody that's a member, or actually everybody who wants to invest in it, for 25 bucks. okay? And it's yours to keep. You can do whatever you want for it. It's just a one-time fee. When that's available, check my, um, my website, todayssurvival.com, or check the forum, and you'll be able to purchase that video on disaster cleanup. And he's going to talk about a lot of the supplies that we're discussing here on the audio podcast. Also, I want to finish this up by letting you know some not-so-good news. My my wife's neurologist, her doctor, that diagnosed her about a year ago, or about nine months ago, ten months ago, with ALS, which is also called Lou Gehrig's disease, he's convinced now of his, of his diagnosis. He told us that last Tuesday. We've been holding out a lot of hope, and still do, 
still do because my faith runs deep folks I'm a I'm a Christian man and my Christian faith runs very deep and so I do believe that God is going to find a solution that his plan is perfect and I do believe that Jesus is the great healer and the great savior and that is my faith regardless I realize it's all part of God's plan but that doesn't make it any easier whatsoever so they've confirmed the diagnosis of ALS however you know we did seek a second and a third opinion and the second and third opinion kind of disagreed with the first doctor. So we got doctors uh, with different opinions. How about that? Boy, isn't that weird, huh? <laughs> yeah, they all have their own opinion, don't they? Anyway, that's so it's kind of tough for us to handle that. See, the stink has hit the fan in our family. How about that? Here I've been podcasting for four years about the stink hitting the fan. Well, guess what? It just hit the fan for us. I mean, hey, a family illness, especially one that's as serious as ALS. ALS is always fatal, and there's no cure. Uh, life, in, life expectancy is typically about two to five years. Uh, so the stink has hit the fan. And now it's time for us to rely on a lot of our preps, a lot of our financial preps, and a lot of the networking that I've been doing, and hopefully some support systems and things out there. So bear with me if I'm not 100% on time with everything. Uh, I meant to get this show out earlier, and that's why this last week I didn't post this earlier, because just dealing with a lot of emotional stuff in my family and things like that. So, uh, with all that said, part two, though, will go out next week, and then hopefully the video will come out soon. Thanks for listening to another episode. I'm Bob Main. This is today's survival show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week. Goodbye.